Hello everyone, my name is Jay and welcome to the first podcast of Fall Downs Misfits and Warriors Addiction Stories. I'm really excited today because I have a friend who I never met until today. I actually uh, had the opportunity of picking her up at the airport and now we're just sitting at Lake Ontario looking at the skyline and uh, happy to introduce my good friend Celeste. Hi Celeste, say hi. Hey Jay, hey everybody. Uh, first time in Toronto guys, I'm actually looking at the CN Tower. This is, uh, this is pretty incredible in so many different ways right now, actually. I'm so, so honored to be the first guest on this podcast, Jay. I appreciate uh, the invite and the opportunity to share my story, especially right now in this time in my life where everything's kind of moving forward at, a, in, at an incredible pace, Yeah. right? In a good way, finally. Only took a few years, but, but we're getting there, so... She's been traveling for four days trying to get back. <laughs> I've home. left the north. Um, some of you know that I've been I've been living in the Northwest Territory since uh, September 2018. Myself and um, my two daughters, who are 12 and 13, uh, we moved up um, just kind of haphazardly. Um, I was a year and a couple months clean at that point, um, and. Uh, we had just lost, uh, I'd lost my husband. They had lost their dad about six months prior to this. And we had an opportunity to move to the north and figured, you know what? We, life had taught us that it's way too short and to seize, seize the day, seize the opportunity. We went up. Um, so three, it was three years in September we were there and um, something came up and we're moving back home to Nova Scotia. So I have been in travel <laughs> since Friday afternoon, leaving the north. I was stranded in Edmonton for a few days with my dogs before I could get them on a flight. My daughters are home safe and sound in Cape Breton, but I am, yeah, mid-travel mid right now to get home to, to Nova Scotia tonight, late tonight, but a little stopover. Good thing I had a six-hour layover, yeah, right? Yeah, for so sure. So this worked out. I called Jay. I'm like, hey, let's meet. Yeah. Oh, let's meet, you know? We've been friends for many years, but yeah, um... Uh, actually, Celeste was my rock a bit when I was in uh, treatment in Vancouver, and she'd be the one I called when I was having problems. So we've been friends, and we've spoken like for uh, I don't for know a few about, years now, uh, about yeah, four, yeah, about four, four years, years. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But this is the for the first opportunity to uh, to meet. So, like I said, found out I had a a six hour layover in Toronto. I was like, Hey, Jay, I need a ride. Come grab me. And uh, it just happened that we've been talking about this podcast. Jay wanted to start the podcast so I uh, I thought this would be a good time to to start so um, I think especially too it I, I, I come to realize that life kind of presents you opportunities when um, you might not realize you need them and um, it has been quite some time since I have shared any of my story and um, and what what with what is going on in my life right now I think um, this is kind of a gift for me to be able to share, um, and a big part of my recovery to share right now to kind of humble myself and remind myself how far I've come, where I've come from to get to this very moment right here. So I think this, it, nothing could have, it couldn't have lined up any better, honestly. Perfect. perfect. Yeah. All right. Uh, I guess let's get started. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, you grew up in Cape Breton. I grew up in Cape Breton. Uh, I was, uh, at, at Glace Bay, Nova Scotia. That was my old stomping grounds. Um, and I left, I left Nova Scotia when I was 19 and I moved to Alberta. Nice. Yeah. Let, just like probably 98% of uh, my friends and, and some family. Um, it's kind of like the rite of passage. I think growing up in Nova Scotia is to head West, uh, once high school's done. Um, did, did you have any struggles when you were in? 
in Cape Breton. Yeah. In Cape Breton, I think one of my biggest my biggest things in Cape Breton. I uh, I dabbled a little bit in the um, let's say in some pills, I guess. Um, to probably my last two years in in Cape Breton, uh, that was a big thing. Uh, a lot of people are using pills, but you know it was kind of a you know, do something and, and there was never any really fallout from it, to be honest. I was never a huge drinker either. Um, drinking was, was one of those things I would do, you know, with the friends and suffer the hangover, I guess the next day. And then I could go months without even looking at alcohol after that. So never, you know, no warning signs of any kind of addiction problems or, or possibility of addiction problems at all in Cape Breton at all. No, but that's that's your phone by the way <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> probably should have muted that um however you know what in hindsight i do realize that um you know it it wasn't even so much the substance abuse i battled um i think one of my biggest battles um just growing up no matter where it was was um was weight issues right bullying weight issues not feeling like i i fit in anywhere um low self-esteem um, you know, very low self-worth and, uh, just, just wanting to just craving that feeling of, of fitting in. Right. Yeah. So I, I think that's what happened was I took, you know, you think you leave, uh, you're leaving one environment and you're going to go somewhere else and everything is going to be so great and fantastic and your life's going to, you know, totally turn around and, and you're going to leave all your problems behind. And unfortunately for me, it wasn't the case. I brought all the baggage and the insecurities and low self-worth and low self-esteem to Alberta, <laughs> the right. land of opportunity. Huh. Yeah. So, so how did you, how did you, um, kind of fall into addiction? If you, <clears throat> you know, uh, no, I, if, if I don't mind you asking, yeah, that's what oh, I was well, say. actually, as a matter of fact, I don't mind you asking <laughs> considering I'm telling you my story. I, uh, so I moved when I was 19 and, um, not long after I moved, um, to Edmonton, I was, I was bartending in the inner city. It was pretty, pretty rough place. And, um, dealt with a lot of uh gang affiliated people a lot of drug dealers in and out of the bar and um it's it's actually where i met my husband um my future husband i guess and the father of my children and um in the very beginning i still remember like one of the conditions of of even trying to make a relationship work was uh you know me being naive i i had told him that you know i couldn't be with a, a drug dealer so you better stop dealing dope <laughs> right you know and and as we probably all know that's not something you just oh okay you know so he promised it was kind of slow down and so what ended up happening was with um and and he was in active um use at the time too so you know one so he time, it's, support. yeah it's a one time it's a you know well let me try this let me try this and and I did, and I and I dabbled with it for quite some time. But I got I got pregnant um, about six years later with our first, and I dropped everything. The minute I found out I was pregnant, I dropped everything. So cocaine, crack, you know, just that was our, our thing at that point. And I had no problem with that. And I, I found out I was um, our our oldest was three months when I found out I was pregnant again. Right. We found out what causes that and we stopped not lying. You know, it, it was a cold, it was a cold fall. And, yeah. uh, so our kids are 10 months apart. So again, got pregnant with my youngest and, and no issues he used, um, during my pregnancy. I, I was okay with it. I, you know, um, what I think ended up happening was about two or three years after I had my children, um, he worked in the oil field and I found myself alone, uh, you know, three weeks at a time while he was out of town with two toddlers and, um, one day I, I had slipped and I had fallen 
and I went to the doctors and I was handed a bottle of muscle relaxers. Right. I was handed a bottle of Percocet, 120 Percocet. Right. And um, I went home that day. You know, I left the house barely even able to like straighten out because of my back. And I came home and the first thing I did was put my kids in the car, brought them to the grocery store, bought groceries. And then we went to Home Depot and I bought paint because I decided I was going to repaint my whole upstairs. And I couldn't figure out for the life of me how like where all this energy was coming from and in this motivation and this happiness and and everything so i mean i wasn't going to question it i just kept going and next thing you know probably about 10 days later i noticed that there's no pills left in my percocet bottle right wow and um you know it took me a little while to put two and two together that i i had gotten dependent on an opiate and this went on for years and you know, I came up with, I, I still remember going to the doctors, you know, five days after getting a script and, you know, making up this big lie about how I brought my backpack to K-Days, which is like a carnival thing in, in Edmonton. <clears throat> and I'd even gone as far as to go to the police shop, the cop shop, buying one of those, um, or buying, sorry, grabbing one of those uh, statement reports that they always have like on their counter yep. and um, saying, you know, just taking it with me, filling it out. Plagiarizing, uh, you know, a cop's writing and a reg number and bringing the police report to the, the doctors with me and saying, look, I filled out a, a, a police report. My backpack was stolen and all my meds were in it. Uh, and I still remember that day thinking, you know what, Celeste, like this is a little overboard. That's the line. This is this is one of my lines, one of my many lines. The, the first out. line. Yeah. When I realized I had a problem, you know, and I was it, it was just kind of spiraling and um it wasn't long after that that uh, <clears throat> I couldn't start refilling my prescriptions and I was uh, getting deathly, deathly dope sick. I hid this addiction from my husband for probably close to three years. Wow. Um, I would be getting my own, my own, um, you know, opiate, I guess, stash when he was coming into town and he'd get the, the coke and the crack and we'd party it up for 10 days in a row. My children were raised in front of a TV with McDonald's or some other takeout. Uh, most days, I was uh, I was really absent as a parent. Um, I convinced myself as long as they were being fed and being clothed, and and uh, you know I was up in the morning. I got them ready for school and sent them to school. That I was being a great mom. You know, I I had myself convinced for a long time that <clears throat> you could handle it. Not not only handle it, but but like opiates made me super mom super woman i was losing weight i was always on the go i had energy i was baking cupcakes for the goddamn cookie fair you know (laughs) and and all these things and i'm like holy cow like my whole life has turned around the only downside at that point was fuck when i ran out of shit i was sick you know and my kids saw that and uh very quickly i had to turn to um heroin Heron was a cheaper replacement. I could buy it um, basically whenever I, I needed it or wanted it, um, as opposed to having to go to the doctors, who I, I'm pretty sure at this point probably catching on uh, in retrospect, right? Right. So that's how I ended up. Because people people who know me ask me all the time, how the hell did you end up on H? You know? Right. And when you are desperate, you will do anything. And it's funny because I put it off for so long because in my head, that's what would have made me an addict. Right was oh my god you can buy anything else but don't buy heroin That's, that makes you a that it. makes you a, a an addict right and I was and I I was going through I started off kind of you know it, my tolerance was was pretty good and um 
And uh, next thing you know, I, I'm up to pro- probably a 620 day habit. And that was just my opiates. And um, that, that totally changed my life. And this is at the point where I had to tell my husband what was going on. I had to, I had track marks all over my body. And I went down to 107 pounds, which for me was, I was skeletal. Like it was, it was, it was terrible. Um, in May of 2017, we, uh, lost our, our home. Um, and my, my husband and our daughters and I ended up staying at a Holiday Inn, um, on my parents' credit card. And this is probably one of the worst things I've ever done because here we are, I'm, I'm four years and five months clean now. And, um, you know, there's always going to be somebody cleaning your mess. If it's not you, it's somebody else. And, and my parents, um, I, I just happened to have my mom's credit card number, uh, from having ordered something for, for school supplies months earlier. And when we, we were getting kicked out of our house, um, I went on Expedia is what I did. And I put in the credit card number and I booked a, a hotel room. Um, and, uh, this went on for 36 days. Oh, wow. I ran up and they had no idea. They had no idea. I just kept extending the, 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 um, reservation. And when the front desk was kind of, and I, what we told the front desk was we had a pipe burst in our house and we had contractors in and we couldn't live there that, you know, they loved us because we were so, we were so like conning, you know what I mean? Like we're, you put on the act, right? You put on the act. And, um, I OD'd, I OD'd in, um, the first week of July of 2017, I was dope sick. And, uh, the only thing I could come up with was a friend, a friend of a friend of a friend had one Oxy 80. And, uh, I still remember the drive out to the West End of Edmonton to pick it up. just all shaky and sweaty and gross and driving out there and picking it up and literally putting it in my mouth for the drive back, sucking the coating off it. Right. thinking that like just praying that it would at least take away like the worst of it you know until I got home and I got back to the hotel and um we broke up the pill and we made a couple lines we were gonna sniff it and uh and I did it and I sat down on the end of the bed and I remember thinking to myself this is weird like my heart was feeling different and beating the the the, the rhythm was way off and slowing down and it was like I couldn't catch breath and uh, that's all I remember until I woke up the next morning in uh, the Northeast Medical Center in Edmonton. John was there with me, my husband, and um, my daughters were with their, their uncle and their aunt. And um, it turns out that the pill had been street pressed and there had been fentanyl in the pill. Right. And um, the nurse came in, checked my vitals. So I guess I had gone in at about 11 o'clock at night, 6.30 morning, came in, looked like everything was good. Now, I was revived. Like I was dead. It took four doses of Narcan, the nasal spray to bring me back. And at six 30 in the morning, my vitals were good. And it was like, all right, unhooked me from the machines. See you later. Sent me out the front door. I didn't have two feet out the front door of that medical center. And I was on the phone and ready to pick up again. again. I needed it. I was, I was sick. I was sick. They killed my, my buzz. Right. And, um, this is these two days are basically when everything changed my life because as we were driving back to the hotel I remember thinking to myself you know this this I I I don't even know what's happening to me right now like I just died last night and here I am looking for more 
I don't want to use anymore. I'm not using to get high anymore. I'm using to survive. But now using to survive could kill me. Right. And the longest in, in my six years of opiate addiction, <clears throat> the longest I'd ever gone, because I, if, if you think for a second, I didn't want to get clean. I wanted to get clean probably a year in. <laughs> and the longest I could ever go was 48 hours. And the withdrawals were so bad. And, you know, the phone, I, I would do anything for the money to, to score because I just didn't want to, I thought I was going to die. So driving back to the hotel, I made a decision and, and my husband and I were, were going to pick up some, some dope, some Coke and crack. And, was, was your husband on H at this time uh, as well? He was, or? he was, but he wouldn't use enough to get dependent. Right. Okay. Right. So he would just he kind da- of dabbled in, in it, it. Yeah. but his, his, uh, was, was alcohol and crack was his primary. And, um, I remember driving back to the hotel and making the call. And when we, we got to the hotel, uh, and, um, the guy called, I went down to the car and I got what John assumed we were getting. And, uh, I got basically another double order just, just for me. Cause I had my mind made up. What I was going to do that night was I was going to use to die. I did not want to live anymore. I didn't want to, you know, it it just didn't make sense to me anymore. It didn't like, and, um, I didn't, I I was, I was a junkie. I had two little girls that, you know, told me they loved me when they went to bed and they just didn't know that, you know, mom was, mom was scraping the bottom of the barrel. And I had two parents that I have no words for my parents. You know, they love me. I'm, you know, at this point I'm 37 and I conned so much money and manipulated them for so much. And I, I was done. I didn't want to do it anymore. And I'd been lying to, to my husband for so long about my amount, the amount I was using when I needed. I just, I just didn't want to do it. And I didn't see, I didn't see, um, a, a light ahead. I did not think I could get clean. I thought I had fucked myself up beyond repair. And I just thought that it would be better for everybody if I just was gone. So went back to the hotel room. I was using a little bit with John and I, uh, I went, I decided I was going to have a bath and I went into the the bathroom and I locked myself in there and I, I did a lot in that bathroom. Like by rights, I shouldn't have came back out of that bathroom. I ran the tub and there was, uh, yeah, I did a lot of crack. I smoked crack. I did lines and I shot up a lot. Right. And I came out and I went over and this is what's so fucked up now. Now that like the, the, I have no hate, like the fog is gone. Um, I think to myself, you know, I don't know what, like, it doesn't even make sense. I, I went over and I kissed my girls who were sleeping on a pullout couch. And then I turned around and I walked two feet and I crawled into bed and I'm laying there, you know, just kind of, well, blasted out of my head. But my plan was to fall asleep and to not wake up. And I was actually ready to do that to my children. My children, if, if all had gone according to plan, my children would have woken up the next morning, looked over and seen their mother lifeless two feet away. But in my head, I wasn't thinking about that. And, uh, I woke up the next morning and, um, my husband went to go do laundry. Like I said, we're staying in a hotel. So I went in the washroom and he was taking all the stuff off the back of the um, bathroom door. And I forgot that I had put all my empties, all my rigs, all my baggies, everything in my hoodie pocket. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, he came out of the washroom and I've never seen this look on his face. He just looked at me and he had the hoodie in his hand and I knew. And, uh, he realized what I had done. I had gone in and I'd gotten all this extra stuff and I like by rights, I probably shouldn't be alive right now. 
And uh, he called my parents. He called my parents in Nova Scotia. And uh, within three days, my 70-year-old dad flew into Edmonton and uh, rented a van because I had no idea I had warrants at the time. Right. And um, John put the girls in the back seat and me in the front and said goodbye. He was staying to work and we drove across Canada. You know, you know, just before we left the city, I was so scared to get sick again. I conned my dad for an extra $700. I can't even remember why, but he handed it to me. Right. So it must have been a good story. And I met my dealer in an aisle at Dollarama. Right. And we made it, I think it was Saskatchewan border that night. And uh, while my kids and, and uh, my dad were asleep, I, I uh, partied like a rock star in the bathroom. And my goal was to save enough to make it across Canada so I wasn't sick. Well, by Manitoba, Winnipeg, I was scraping baggies and it was gone pretty much. And then, you know, we made it to Ontario. And um, in Ontario, you know, you want raw. You want to, you want like, people have been there, I'm sure. But when I started withdrawing, um, my dad was driving and, and my kids were in a van. I started with the, the, the shakes and the sweats and, you know, like I, I honest to God, Jay, I shit myself in the backseat of a van and making like my dad having to pull over and buy me a sundress at a fucking gas station. And my kids, my kids who would have been seven and eight at the time had to like hold a towel around the door of the, the van and help me physically helped me undress and put me into a sundress and you know like my kids have been through the trenches with me and it's we got to Nova Scotia about five days I think it was five days later and uh my parents I was in a room I had no cell phone no bank account no money no dealer no nothing (laughs) right no access to nothing nothing 28 days I spent in that bed and the only thing, or we're fortunate we have an MD that lives next door. So he would check up on me every, you know, two days just to make sure I wasn't dehydrating or anything like that. My, again, my 70 year old dad having to like fireman or what's it called? Like fireman carry me to the washroom because I couldn't, I didn't even have the strength of my legs to walk. And, um, my mom took over the role as mom for 28 days, fed and bathed my children, took them outside, played with them, entertained them. You know, 28 days. The only thing I took was sleepies to sleep and I drank Gatorade and I just, and when 28 days were over, I, uh, I went in to see a, an addictions counselor at the hospital back home and God love her. She was so nice and she, I'm, I'm sure she knew her stuff, but I remember <clears throat> at that point I was still like shaky and stuff and I, I was trying to talk to her and I was like, you know, do you know how long these withdrawals? And she looked at me and she was like, Celeste, I'll be honest, I've never smoked weed. Well, okay. <laughs> and I remember looking across the, the table at her and thinking to myself, God, you are such a little sweetheart. Right. But you know what? This is the last time I can come here because you cannot relate. Right, right. <laughs> and I need somebody who's been in the, the you know, like Almost been there, the you know, and... in the trenches that, that can say to me, you know, because at that point, that's what I need. I need a reassurance that at some point I was going to feel normal again. And that is a hard thing, you know, to, and, and I think that that might be a big obstacle for a lot of people getting clean 
is because it does take, it does take a little while to start feeling normal. And you might have yourself convinced that you, only you, everybody else can get clean, but not you. Right. You fucked yourself up beyond repair, your mind, your body, nothing's ever going to work the same again. So why not? Like, why, why, why try? It's just not going to happen. But I started, when I left that meeting with that drug counselor, she uh, gave me a little card and it was for drug, um, it was like for any. And my first NA meeting, believe it or not, it, I wasn't looking for a meeting. I just wanted to get the fuck out of my parents' house. Right, right. Not to like go use out. or anything. It was a night out because <laughs> I was just so used to seeing the same four walls, seeing my kids, seeing my parents, and I just need... So my plan was to get them to drop me off like a block away. And again, it wasn't to use or to do anything wrong. It was just I figured I'd go and I'd walk around. There's a park. Yeah. I'll walk around the park for a fucking hour, right? And... um when I was walking by the church of this first, the, this meeting, there were a couple of people out on the steps and I remember walking by and I'm like, no, not a chance. I'm not going by. And for some reason, just as I passed the stairs, my body turned and I'm like, is there a meeting here tonight? Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, I've got four people coming down those stairs, hugs, you know, introductions. They, they physically put their hand on my back and kind of led me in. And that meeting changed my life because that was the first time <clears throat> I felt like somebody, at least one person, let alone the 12 people, not even, you know, just one person was talking and I'm thinking to myself, is this a joke? Like this person sounds like they're talking about my life. Right. Like I've never been able to relate to somebody so much and, or people so much as that meeting. And those meetings became like, like gospel to me. Like I was going to three, four meetings a week and this is in Cape Breton and Cape Breton is not, it's not hugely populated. So the fact I was going essentially to every NA meeting I could. Right. And taking it all in. And um, I worked a set of steps and, you know, I got a sponsor. I, I and, and, and I did. I went in, I sat down, I shut up and I listened. And um, six months into my recovery, I got a phone call saying that um, my husband's body had been found uh, at a hotel in Edmonton. Um, and it was um, it was fentanyl poisoning. It was uh, his cocaine had been laced with fentanyl. And uh, he was 37 years old. The girls and I were expecting him to fly into Cape Run two days later. We had just booked tickets. And I guess what he did was he got out of um, camp, had some money. And, and from what I could gather from the cops, it wasn't a lot of drugs he had. Like, he picked up whatever he was going to party for the night, I guess. Yeah. And um, according to the cops, he made it about two two lines into his gram. And he was gone. Uh, So, you know, you always say it, it, you know, it can't happen to me and it won't happen to me. And I can tell you, I can tell you right now that the last thing you ever, ever want to do or have someone do on your behalf is to have to tell your children that one of their parents is gone. And you can, it's not about, it's not about getting shit dope anymore that's what people don't understand remember remember we used to buy it's like for me used to buy coke and you'd get it and you could tell it was stepped on and you're like oh my god what a waste of what a waste of money right All i got I, ripped I could, off yeah, yeah i got ripped off right same thing you go to cook something and it goes it, it, it evaporates and you're like what the hell or you know it's not that anymore that that's the best case scenario yeah it's live or die now and um when we moved up to the north, I, uh, you think you're in an isolated community. You think that, and uh, a, a year ago in January, um, a very close friend of mine called me screaming. <clears throat> and it was, bring your naloxone, bring your naloxone. James, wake up, wake up. That's all I heard on the phone. Yeah. 
Right. And uh, it turns out that 911, it was, 911 is relatively new up in the north. So um, it, it, there was a, an issue getting through. It was a deadline. So she called me. She knew I carried naloxone all the time. So I got up to the house and um, I I think I knew at the time he was gone. But I administered naloxone hoping that maybe there would small be chance, a small yeah. chance. I've seen naloxone work miracles. And unfortunately, he had used a loan. And, um, and it, it was too late. It was too late. And, uh, you know, that really opened my eyes again. Because living in such a remote community in the north, um, you, you think it's, it, you know, you're unreachable by this, this epidemic. And you're not. You're not. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And I, I find, as I'm sure a lot of people have noticed, mental health right now, mental health and addiction go hand in hand. There's no question about it. We are in the middle of one of the greatest world changes that, you know, anyone, these generations have ever seen. Um, COVID has changed everything. Um, and it's, it's uh, brought so much more isolation and uh, so much more desperation Um you know, depression, anxiety, it has changed us as a whole. So anyone who had an underlying issue before the COVID hit, um, was, was, you know, at risk how many more times over. Right. Right. And, um, and that, that's the problem is I still think that people truly do believe it can't happen to me. It won't happen to me. I can dabble. I can do this. It's it's the people that are stuck in stairwells, you know, with needles in their arm, that you know that's that's who that's where the bad stuff happens. I can still function. I can still. You I'm know, at home. I'm I'll at be home. Okay. I'll be okay. And it's it's just gotten so bad that you, you we can't live with that mentality anymore. You know, um, a few things you and I had discussed before, you know, there's a few things that I've, I've learned over the last couple of years in recovery, being in the North or just, just in maturing in, in, in life. There, there's a couple of things. First of all, this using alone thing, you know, I think that's a big thing nowadays. And I know people don't, you know, it, and it is, I, I used to use alone all the time, you know, because it's a shameful, for the most part, shameful, embarrassing. And uh, I do know that there are resources now um, where you can make a phone call. You and I talked about this a few weeks yeah. ago. You can make a phone call to someone who is totally anonymous. They will ask for your address or where you're using. And it has nothing to do with the police. Nothing at all. Um, it's more for... And they will stay on the phone with you while you use. Just to make sure. Just to make sure in case anything happens, they can send help to you. And I know there's going to be skeptics out there. Because, I mean, I probably would be too if I was still in active course, addiction. Yeah. But you know what? If... if that if this resource was alive, it was, um, was available for my husband, he could very well be alive, you know, who knows, but that's the thing. There, there are resources out here. And another thing I want to say before I forget, I mentioned it to you, Jay, before too, is naloxone, Narcan. First of all, any pharmacy or health center, um, I think right now it's, it's a good thing for anybody to have it, whether, whether you're an addict, a recovering addict or not. You know, my plan when I get back to Nova Scotia is to stick a kit in my parents' car, yeah. right? I think it's a, it's a, it's almost like a first kit and first aid kit nowadays. But one of the things I, after talking to a lot of people over the last year or so, I think what a lot of people need to know if you haven't had naloxone or Narcan training, is that if you have access to one and you come across somebody who may or may not be uh, experiencing a drug overdose, don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. Use 
the naloxone or the Narcan. There is absolutely no negative effect of using it. Even if they aren't having a drug overdose, you cannot make any condition worse. So don't think twice about using it because to me, that's my biggest worry. If you're worried about doing some, using a, a medication that you're, especially the, um, the, the naloxone, which is an injection, right. <clears throat> who knows, waiting and not doing it could cost someone a life, right? Um, so that's, that's another thing I just wanted to pass along. Just always, always just err on the side of caution, administer it. You cannot make any other. Can't make it worse. You can't make it worse. Um, if anything, the only, the only thing that can happen is if it is an overdose, they probably will come to. Right. So that was a, a big thing for me. Right. So I guess I know like we're trying to keep these within a, a certain, um, we're talking about my move here. Um, in August, um, I, you know, I was working a government job in the Northwest Territories. Everything was going really well, but the North is really expensive. And, you know, I just, I turned 40, uh. 40 last February. And I am, you know, pretty resolved that my kids are 12 and 13 now. And I may be, I may very well be their, their single parent and provider until, you know, they are old enough to go to university. So I, um after meeting some pretty amazing people in the North, actually, yeah. um, I was inspired to apply for my Bachelor of Science in Nursing. Awesome. Yeah. So at 40 years old, this girl right here got an acceptance letter from Cape Breton University. I am going in um, as a Bachelor of Science to begin with, um, starting in January, January 10th. It's like Billy Madison. I'm going back to school, yeah. right? With those little chairs. With and... the little chairs and little ball cap. And I can't wait to pick up my backpack. Um, <laughs> So this is why I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in the middle of a relocation. We packed up our home, uh, the girls and I in the, in the North after, you know, three and a half years. And, and, you know, on a, on another note, you know, my, my children are experiencing some mental health issues right now too. So it was the time and, um, we reload, we're relocating back to Nova Scotia right now. So, um, this is a huge point in my life. Changes, uh, any addict will tell you change it can go one of either way, but it's usually very stressful. Right. Right. And, um, so packing up my house, like I said to you, Jay, when you talked about the podcast, I said, I really think I needed to do this to remind myself, you know, where I was five years ago, you know, five years ago, I was still using, and I was just, just pre OD, you know, and here I am sitting in Toronto with you, you know, um, you've become such a close friend to me and, and a healthy friend, you know, you're not, you know, we, we, you've, you've done so much for me too in my recovery. And, um, and I'm, I'm for the first time since leaving Nova Scotia, since leaving Cape Breton, this is the first time I'm not running home for refuge. This is the first time I'm doing it right. I'm going home. I sold my truck. I sold, you know, got rid of everything and I move, I'm moving home to better myself to get the support both, you know, myself and my children need. Uh, my parents, believe it or not, surprisingly, for whatever reason, after everything I've put them through, my parents are, you know, I put them in serious, serious debt. My dad is in his early 70s and had to go back to work yeah. to help cover the costs of my choices, my addictions, my manipulations. So it feels good also to be able to go home to... Um, to go back and stay with my mom and dad at 40 isn't not always the the ideal thing but you know I feel like I can give back the only way I maintain my recovery is to give what I have away right and um so whether it's doing these podcasts or going home and doing dishes for my mom five days a week that's giving back 
from my recovery. And that's what allows me to keep this, keep what I have now. And I'll tell you, you know what, there's, there's nothing. I wouldn't change anything for the world. I wouldn't change everything that happened because I wouldn't be the person sitting here right now looking over at the CN Tower. I wouldn't, <laughs> you know, it wouldn't have led to this. Right. But I know I have quite a big road ahead of me. Um, but I, you know, for the first time in my life, I feel like I can do right. I, you know, I can, I can, I can do this. And right? sober. And sober. <laughs> and sober and clean. And, you know, just, just, I, I was talking to my parents this morning and I said, you know, like even just handling my two dogs, my dogs are shepherd husky lab mixes. And my male is like 84 pounds. My female 72 big carriers. I'm by myself from Edmonton to Halifax. And I'm like, five years ago, I would have needed to be so freaking high right. to, de- to even process all these things and then go through security. You know how good it felt to go through security today, not worrying about anything? Anything no in your pockets. Wants, nothing or... in my pockets. <laughs> no, no residue on my bag. Yeah. Like all these little things that, you know, sometimes you have to break it down to think about it and go, hey, you know what? Wow. <laughs> wow. You know, had you asked me five years ago if I thought that I'd be where I am you know, both, both, you know, in my life, psychologically, mentally, financially, physically right here, looking at the Toronto sky, I would have told you, I, I'd be dead. I would have been right. dead within weeks. Well, I'm, I'm yeah. happy. I'm happy you made it out of that bathtub. Whew, me too. And I've gotten to know you because you're too. truly inspirational and amazing. Thank you. And Jay, you know thank what? you. No problem. I, I cannot thank you enough for this opportunity and I really and I hope I think that's the thing too is for anybody else that uh, I know you put an invite out for people to do it I think um you have to realize it's 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 a two-way thing too like it's not only about sharing your story for others I really do feel like um it 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 works wonders for your own um whether it's recovery or maybe you need a jump start to to get clean or sober I really feel like sharing your story, knowing that nobody judges you. If anything, people are like, wow, you know, um, I really encourage people to come and, and, and to let us know whether, you know, they want to share their story because it's, it's, it's an incredible feeling. Awesome. So that's awesome. And thank you so much. Thank you uh, for being here. We'll, 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 we'll go grab another Timmy's or something yeah, that on, the, sounds like a on good... the way back to the airport. Yeah. Uh, on the way back, I'm flying into Hallie tonight. Yeah. Me and my dogs. And I, I'm really looking forward to um, seeing my family tomorrow. It's yeah. been for, yeah, almost four years since I've seen them. And I met, believe it or not, teenage girls last week, I was ready to sell them. Uh, <laughs> I was ready. You know what? I had post trying to get rid of some hedgehogs. I wanted to be like, anyone want to keep my teenage daughters? Uh, and I'll tell you, since Friday, I miss my babies. So this is, uh, I, I'm really looking forward to this last leg of the trip. But but I have to say my stopover in Toronto was pretty good. Cool, cool. <laughs> You're amazing, Celeste. Thank you. All right, hon. Thanks, everyone. And uh, keep listening.